Hello, fellow theater people. Thank you so much for finding us. We're so excited to be back for a second episode. We're thrilled to be bringing you some truly amazing guests over the next few weeks, including Kinky Boots star Anna Lee Ashford, Cinderella star Laura Osnes, Andrew Keenan Bolger from Newsies and Submissions Only, Anika Larson from Beautiful, and lots more. You can receive episodes automatically as soon as we put them online by subscribing on iTunes. Search Theater People Podcast on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with our latest developments. Lastly, check out our brand new website, www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L dot com. Okay, now to today's show. Ben Rimlauer, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We're so happy to have you. I'm so happy to be had. Congratulations on your big success with the Patty Issues. Thank you. Were you expecting such the fanfare and the success that you had? Exactly what I had. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> well, if you could maybe um, give us a, like an overview of the show for people who might not know about it. Sure. Um, well, Patty Issues is my uh, solo play or uh, monodrama, according to my director, the brilliant Aaron Mark. It uh, explores the... I guess, intersection of my lifelong obsession with Patti LuPone and my um, very tumultuous relationship with my biological father, who's also gay, um, and had a very uh, dramatic coming out and um, battle with uh, drugs and everything and suicide attempts in my childhood. Um, And the play sort of... um, ponders how my obsession with Patty was my escape from that. And and then as an adult, I got to uh, work with Patty and get to know her very well. And so that sort of is how it all comes together for me. You lived in New York until you were five, I think. Is that right? And then you guys moved out to L.A.? That's right. And then maybe if you could talk a little bit about what your family life was like at that sort of important time. Well, uh, my father was not out of the closet at that point. And he and my mom got married very young. They were 18 and 19, and they had me when they were 22 and 23. And my father uh, is an OBGYN, uh, you know, a lady doctor. And we moved to L.A. from New York City when I was five years old. I think my father wanted to get away from his, uh, sort of, to him, oppressive Jewish parents. Um, My parents being very young, they were both very close to their parents. My grandparents were very involved in my life when I was little and took me to see a lot of Broadway shows which is part of what I was upset about when we moved to California. Then a couple years after us settling in California, my father uh, came out of the closet. And um, he uh, had a very difficult time accepting himself as being deviant from the perfect Jewish doctor that he was sort of raised to be or wanted to be. And uh, he was kind of freaking out at the time, and drugs were part of it, and there was a lot of uh, stuff that happened, um, kind of like, almost, I guess, like tantrums, you could say, that he sort of threw uh, in front of me and my sister. And I think that a lot of my obsession with, not just Patti LuPone, although Patti LuPone eventually became my spirit animal, but um, when I was little and I'd watched The Wizard of Oz, it was The Wicked Witch of the West that I was fascinated by and identified with <laughs> and, um, <laughs> um, but you know I was obsessed with the the villainess you know and not, and uh, I when I played my he-man figures I talk about this in the show that the you know character that was most important to me was evil Lynn you know um, with those fabulous yellow tights or was it yellow skin I, I guess she's like alphabet <laughs> but um, but I think that the reason that that stuff appealed to me all those those you know 
witches, really, was um, because my father was such a witch. And he was so scary and, you know, so dramatic. Um, And I needed something equally kind of histrionic to be a distraction from the drama that was in my house. And also, I think by identifying with these sort of larger-than-life wicked characters... I felt empowered by them. It's sort of like, you know, taming the dragon or something. You know, and then it all came together for me when uh, when I discovered, you know, the original Broadway cast album of Havita. All those sort of thrilling tirades that, you know, Patty just spews out where, you know, they just gripped me on such a, a, a visceral uh, way that, um, that uh, you know, I, that my whole life has just spun from that moment. So, and, and you went to Berkeley Four Theater? Well, it was liberal arts. I mean, it's probably, I shouldn't, it, it's not one of the better theater departments in the country. Um, but, uh, you know, I, my parents uh, were paying for my schooling but they could only afford for me to go to a University of California school or any state school, but those were the good and ones. And we should say at this point, you've been adopted by your stepfather. Yes, my stepfather, thank you, had adopted me when I was 11, um, and I changed my name to Rimmelauer. Um, and it seems like you had like one all-important connection in New York, too. You know, Lonnie Price. Well, yes, I had... Um, and you should probably explain who Lonnie Price is for people who might not know, and maybe how, how you know him. Sure. Uh, well, Lonnie Price is a Tony-nominated Broadway director and writer, and he began his career as a very um, sought-after actor in the 70s uh, and early 80s. He starred in the original cast, uh, you know, Merrily Roll Along, uh, Charles Kringish, and singing Franklin Shepard Inc. and Good Thing Going, and Merrily Roll Along. Merrily We Roll Along. <laughs> I'm getting into slurred diction. Um, I'm trying to difficulty for my next role. He... Uh, <laughs> was uh, in the original cast of Athel Fugard's Master Harold and the Boys and in, in many things. And, of course, he was famous in the movies uh, for Dirty Dancing. Of course. Neil, uh, Neil Kellerman, the, the, right. you know, the guy that was a jerk, the hotel owner's son. Um, and, uh, and he was in the Muppet movie. I mean, Lonnie has many credits. Um, but uh, his parents went to high school with my real father's parents. And my uncle... Uh, who is a, 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 an editor at Simon & Schuster now, was a, a theater director and writer in his early career and had worked with Lonnie a lot, my mom's brother, who's also gay. So Lonnie was a family friend on both sides for me. And so when my sister and I were little, we, and we knew his parents better than we knew him because Lonnie was always working, but we'd get so excited when we'd watch, like, Golden Girls and Lonnie would be on, and Lonnie Price, Lonnie Price! Right. Um, and... Um, I had uh, reconnected with Lonnie when I was a freshman in college, and I'd come to New York. I extravagantly flew to New York, um, uh, freshman year of college, to see Patti LuPone and Pal Joey. Because, you know, my parents were like, you're in college, you don't have any money, you know, what are you doing flying to New York for the weekend? I said, it's Patti LuPone's first appearance on the New York stage since Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> um... And it was worth every penny, you know, and it was, it was, she was absolutely brilliant and thrilling. I mean, I'll never forget that, that moment of her walking onto a New York stage for the first time after this, like, public humiliation. And, you know, the audience, I mean, it's one thing to have entrance applause, but this was, like, an ovation, mm-hmm. you know, that lasted 
for just minutes, you know, which on st- in stage time, you know, it's the opposite of dog years. I mean, minute or is it the same thing as dog years? But, but you know, it, yeah. it, it was oh, seemed yeah. to go on for hours, and um, and the whole experience was like that. It was like it was such a it was like it was literally like making love like Patty to the audience, you know. And I remember all of her line readings from that production, you know. Um, it, it was just it was just seared in my mind, you know. And anyway, Lonnie had directed it, and. Um, uh, my uncle reintroduced us in the lobby, and you know, Lonnie, of course, hadn't seen me since I was like five, so you know, he got a kick out of it. And uh, you know, and I told him that I wanted to be a director, and he said to keep in touch, you know, if I ever wanted to assist and direct. And so we did. Amazing. Um, and that's not something that happens to most people. Then, uh, but then Lonnie was directing Sweeney Todd at the New York Philharmonic mm-hmm. in concert, starring Patti LuPone. And because it was such a short rehearsal process, I guess Lonnie felt safe or comfortable having me assist him on it um because you know what can really go wrong in two weeks <laughs> does he know at this point about your obsession fascination with well i think you know the layers of the onion were still to be peeled right and so talk a bit about how your sort of relationship with patty develops out of that i say in the show patty was everything i dreamed she'd be you know i don't i'm sure there's lots of people and i know from experience there's lots of people you are a fan of who you can meet who can be Better, worse, different, you know, but not the way you might have imagined them. But Patty, to me, is exactly the Patty LuPone that I had in mind, you know, um, only more so, just more. Well, and like suddenly you're at her apartment running lines with her. Well, it actually wasn't her apartment. Patty, at the time, Patty doesn't have a place in New York City. Um, and uh, she was staying at Kelly Martin's apartment, her daughter from like No way. Kelly wasn't there. But uh, so Patty had me over there to run lines with her. Um, and um, so that was pretty crazy. I mean, I was alone. Mm-hmm. Patty and then she starts leaving you messages, and you guys start communicating, and then she asks you to... Well, Patty got to see what a big fan I was. I mean, I think it, you know, it's a funny moment in the show that it really was revealed when at one point she said, can someone bring me a water? And I said, yes, Davina! <laughs> it was like, you know, I just couldn't contain all the love in my heart. Um, her management wanted her to have a reel of her recent film and television work, like not even Life Goes On, you know, stuff from, this was, you know, 2000, so the Mm -hmm. late 90s, that could be sent out to Hollywood casting directors, you know, to show her as an actress, not a musical comedy diva, and, you know, and and at her, the age she was and the way she looked then, you know. So stuff like Summer of Sam and her episode of Frasier, for which she was nominated for an Emmy Award, and (laughs) other things. Um, Stay in Maine. Yeah, just very good. You're on. Thank you. Um, Stay in Maine, exactly. So, Uh, Patty thought of me to direct, you know, to edit this reel. And then Patty gave me all her videos, every single thing she had, to sort of archive for her. People always say, oh, you're Patty LuPone's archivist. But no, 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 Patty has an archivist. I mean, there are, like, bound books. This was just a video archive. Um, But I I was thrilled to have the job and thrilled to have the videos. Um, And in that time of sort of talking about that stuff, also Lonnie directed her several more times in the couple years I was his assistant. We did Sweeney Todd in two more cities, uh, San Francisco and Chicago, and filmed it for PBS. And uh, we did a little live music at the Ravinia Festival. And then Lonnie was in town, Patty was in town doing Matters of the Heart at Lincoln Center when Lonnie and I were working on a class act at Manhattan Theater Club and then on Broadway. So I went up seeing Patty a lot through Lonnie while I was doing all this stuff for her personally. And we began to have a relationship, and she took me a couple of times as her date to see Broadway shows. And, you know, I don't wow. think I was the first gay she would call, but I was somewhere down right. the list. Um, <laughs> it's a good list to be on. Well, I want to talk about, like, people might people our age might not know the what you stumbled upon when you found the video of Patty at Les Mouches. You know, that the, was a magical the, moment. The true yeah. importance of that. 
Well, um, so, you know, I, when I'd come to New York when I was a freshman year, uh, when I was a freshman year, my freshman year, I came to New York to see Pal Joey, and I went to the famous Triton Gallery that sells, you know, theater posters, um, rare theater posters, and it's a great, they sell a great website and everything, and you can buy anything you need there. So I went there, and was like, show me everything you have with Patti LuPone. And um, what they had, besides all the show posters, was this poster for Patti LuPone at Les Mouches. And I didn't know what that meant, but it seemed to be for a nightclub act. And it said, Saturdays at midnight, following her performance in Evita. And that was just the coolest thing in the world to me, Saturdays at midnight. I, I just love the fact that it said, following her performance in Evita. <laughs> like, right. that blew my mind, you know? Um, and it was a really cool, it's a really cool poster. It's a sort of cartoon image drawing of Patty, um, monochromatic, and um, uh, she's in a man's tuxedo with tails, and there's this sort of, like, piano keyboard that's, like, spiraling off into, like, the night sky, and Patty's sort of, like, riding it, or riding a moon or something, and there's stars. It's very, like, um, Patty is this sort of, like, magical nighttime troubadour, and it just, uh, it was beautiful, and I bought it, and I had it framed, you know? I had gotten, when the, starting to use the internet to, you know, meet fans around the world, I had a friend who was a Patty, who was a mostly Elaine Page fan, but he also liked Patty in Singapore, and he had good videos, you know. I came across some rare videos from my collection, one of which was a, like, three-minute clip of almost the entire Meadowlark of Patty in this black man's tuxedo with tails at Les Mouches. And it was very bad quality, but, you know, it was amazing. I mean, here was Patty. I was obsessed with Meadowlark anyway, but here's video of her singing it in 1980. In this just, iconic setting. And you can just tell, you know, that it's midnight. You can tell that it's midnight. You can tell that she's got her Evita lashes still on. You know, it's, 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 it's intoxicating. And so here I was editing together this video archive for Patty, and it was just this, you know, most of these tapes were like, they'd say things like, um, capital sports, or like anthems and games, and it would be like, you know, <laughs> baseball and hockey games she and her husband taped mixed in with, like, her on Merv Griffin, you know. <laughs> and, like, you know, it was sort of this really uh, sprawling collection, you know. It was four brown paper supermarket bags filled with VHS tapes. Um, so I was just cataloging them, and I put it all together into a spreadsheet for her. And she's like, you forgot Les Mouches. And I was like, no, I gave you that little clip of Metal Arc. I remember I told you I got that guy from Singapore. She goes, no. Patty claimed that there was video of her entire language performance. Um, and so I went back through these tapes again and again. And on this one tape, <clears throat> Capital Sports, which there were some Patty performances in the beginning, and then there was these sports games. Sports games. I reveal my, <laughs> my personality. <laughs> you know, Nobody games. listening to this has any idea yeah. what those are. You know, sports games. Exactly. Um, and then there's just like, I don't know, like an hour of like blank tape or like just like snow, you know, or something at the end of one of the sports games. But it's like so trippy. If you watch through that hour of nothing... The screen is black for a long time, and then there's like just the faintest trace of like little lights, and there's like some crowd noises, and then there's crickets, and then this band starts to like jam, and then the jam turns into Buenos Aires. Uh, and you had fallen asleep. That's the only reason you got to that point because you would never have 
a, you would never have just watched an hour of snow. No, I really thought she was crazy and that there was no Le Mouche. I mean, she is crazy, but <laughs> I really thought she was wrong about there being Le Mouche. And, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night, there was this cricket noise and this band warming up. And then, like, just this tiny little glow starts to, like, walk across the screen or, you know, move across the screen. And then the camera zooms in and it's Patty and she's in a white version of that man's tux and tails. And she sings this crazy song in the Latin from Manhattan. But before she even sings, she's doing a lot of like, whoop, whoop, whoop. It's like, whoop. And it's like, it's so hyped up, you know? I mean, it's like God knows what she was on. You know, it's 1980 and it's midnight, you know? And, and she's just in an entire performance of Evita. She's just in an entire performance of Evita. And, you know, but, but she had all Sunday and Monday off. Oh, that's true. And then true. Tuesday off until the evening show. You know, it's balls to the wall and... It's so amazing, and in a way, the bad quality is like part of what makes it so wonderful. It's like it was just she's only lit with a spotlight, and it, and it's sort of like sepia toned through the quality of the tape and the and, the, and the, the deterioration of the tape. And like at one point, she sings this amazing song, which I didn't know at the time. Uh, uh, is it called "Midnight on the Street of Dreams," which is "Street of Dreams," and it's an old standard Frank Sinatra and Ella Fitzgerald and everybody sang, but I didn't I didn't know it. Although it's a kind of song that's kind of standard that sounds. Familiar, you know. I know where they bought, I know where they sold. Midnight. You've got to get there at midnight. And you'll be met there by others like you, brothers as blue. And it's very, like, has that sort of, like, warm, familiar, evocative kind of sound, you know? And she's singing that in this, like, very, like, legato, like, long breaths, like, you know, um, almost, like, hypnotic arrangement. And, you know, she, once in a while she does these sort of, like, freaky, like, midnight! <laughs> but, like, most of it is, like, in this sort of, like, hypnotic thing. And then just as that song is sort of fading out, the spotlight, like, tightens on her face, like, real, real small. Like, almost like it's a ship's porthole. And she starts to sing Because the Night. Oh, my. You know, which I only knew from, like, the Natalie Merchant of course, version. Yeah. You know, but, of course, it's this great Patti Smith song. And, you know, and just, like, rocks the shit out of it, you know. And, you know, the Les Mouches band was electric guitar and electric bass. And, you know, I'm sure uh, the rock purists out there might take issue with some of Patti's dramatic interpretation of Because the Night. But I'm thrilled, by the way, her voice is just, like belting out these big rock high notes. The emotional way she sings it is so vulnerable. I mean, it, it, I was just, you know, it changed my life. Not to jump around too much, but ultimately you, you, you end your work with Lana, you decide you have to go on and do your own thing, yeah. and you're directing things around town. And how does this idea of uh, getting Leslie Kritzer to do Patti Lapone at Les Mouches come to be? Well, I had, um, I was, I was frustrated as a director, you know, my career is at the mercy of the material that I can get my hands on, and, um, I thought, you know, instead of, it, it seemed like a thing to do, instead of trying to, like, make a new Les Mouches, why not use the old one, you know, and, um, and because so much of what makes Les Mouches great is not just how wonderful those arrangements are, although they're really wonderful, and what a great eclectic collection of songs it is, although that's true, it's also this sort of, the, it's the, there's a story to it. it. It's the tone is very sort of daring. It's like it's hard to know what is 
meant intentionally and what's sarcastic and it sort of like works on both sides you know and I don't I'm sure if you asked Patty or if you asked David Lewis they would have different responses David Lewis was the sorry the original musical director who really conceived that show with Patty you know mm-hmm. I mean it's really in a way his brainchild um, and who we got by the way to musically direct him and I did with Leslie Kritzer but so I, I thought you know th- this is a show the more, when I started to think of actually doing it, I was like, the show is Patty Lupone at Les Mouches. Someone plays Patty. And I knew that Leslie could fill that space of the big Patty Lupone personality. And I knew Leslie could walk the line between, on one hand, playing all this Patty stuff to get the laughs out of it. You know, when Patty says, um, you know, um, there, there's, Patty's personality is so over the top in this Les Mouches stuff that there's so much comedy to be gotten out of that, you know, especially the degree removed of it not being 1980 at Les Mouches, but being 2006 at Joe's Pub. Mm -hmm. So I knew Leslie could nail all that, and yet I also knew Leslie could play the sort of beautiful arc of Patti LuPone as this, like, you know, storyteller in song, just like this generous spirit that's so, you know, that it, it, it takes the audience on this journey that a lot of times we don't get in cabaret. You know, it's harder and harder in the age of rock and roll and post-rock and roll and whatever hell we are now for a cabaret act to really touch an audience in that way. And Les Mouches was such a... In 1980, it was a rare example. It's even more rare now. Um, and I knew Leslie could... I hope correctly that Leslie could make that happen for the audience, and she certainly did, you know. And Patty was on board with the idea... Until she wasn't. Well, you know, when I asked, I asked Patty for permission to to do it, um, and you know, because I was basing it on recordings, her video that she had given me. Although David also had uh, audio tapes, which I used to put together a sort of because this show had they ran for a long time originally, so it had changed a little bit over time, been refined. So I wanted to sort of put together what I thought was the best amalgamation of all that, um, but. Um, the, uh, so I asked Patty for permission, you know, and because I treasure my relationship with Patty and I didn't want to piss mm-hmm. her off. Um, <laughs> and um, Patty said, oh, I think it'll be a blast. Break a leg, doll, you know. Um, but I think, you know, we were doing it for one night at Joe's Pub. And to her, it was like, who? What? Leslie? What? You want to? Right, right, have fun. You know, then when we were extending and extending and I kept sending her these reviews we were getting and everybody in the business was coming to see it and then Kurt Deutsch was recording it and that's when it was like, what? Slow down. Hold on. You know, what mm-hmm. the fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. Um, and and then um, you got like the scariest voicemail ever heard by yeah, human ears. That's right. <laughs> then, well, you have to come see Patty Issues if you want to hear the voicemail. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'll be on the Divina Cruise, aptly named, February 15th to 22nd, RSVP Cruises. So and that, I'm in Baltimore, January 25th. I mean, was it devastating to Leslie to have it the... the yes. The, uh-huh. I mean, I can't even imagine. I remember reading about that, and I, it was all the rage. Every, everyone loved it. Yeah, we were selling out. We was, it was a big hit. Certainly the most successful thing I had ever done. And, you know, everyone in the industry who had worked with Leslie or even auditioned her knew what a great talent she was. And she had starred to great acclaim as Fanny Bryce in the 2000 Playhouse production of Funny Girl, which would have, I think, moved if it had not been for September 11th. But, um, you know, she had yet to find uh, a role that allowed her to do everything she can do. And this was really, you know, showing her off. And, and she was so wonderful in it. And uh, it was a huge disappointment to both of us uh, to have to let go of that, you know, 
Um, and uh, and then you ultimately were able to, I don't know, something good did come out of it. You were able to go on and, and work on an actual recording of Patty at Language. Yes. Well, what Kurt. happened was Kurt, Kurt Deutsch, Shikaboom, Ghostlight Records had recorded Leslie, which they were going to release, and then that's right the moment when Patty said, no more. Um, and uh, But there had been in talks with me and Kurt, and I think Leslie and David Lewis maybe, it was that you know we had we were going to release the Leslie thing, and then possibly do something with these tapes David had of Patty, and maybe a companion piece or whatever, you know. So that sort of fell to the wayside when the Leslie thing was off, and then about a year later, ish, I was like, well, why don't we? You know, I mean, the, the whole thing had been about my love for Les Mouches, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was like, well, why don't we still do that? And you know, Patty was like, my voice, recordings of me, make it happen. <laughs> Well, I know we don't have you for too much longer. There was two other things I wanted yeah. to talk about. I wanted to talk about as a writer, and again, I can't say enough. Patty issues is just so so brilliant, uh, and that's not a word I use lightly. But I'm I'm Thank really you. curious as to how you, what gave you the idea to put those two stories together, and how as a writer you found that through line, yeah. and then what if anything is your relationship with your father today. Well, my relationship with my father today is nil. Um, we uh, stopped speaking when I was 11, and we had a um, short-lived rapprochement. Is that the word? Uh, when I <laughs> it was is 21, um, which lasted about a year and a half, and then, which I cover in the show, and then we stopped talking. And then I've run into him, as I talked about in the show, once in the year since then, but that's it. We don't speak. Um, and the process of writing the show is that after the demise of the Les Mouches show, I was again frustrated as a director, you know, and I'd always wanted to be a writer, but I, um, I'm, at the time I was, now I'm sober, I find writing very uh, comfortable. But when I was drinking, it felt like a discipline that didn't feel natural to me. I just wanted to be in the room, you know, just mm-hmm. combustion, bouncing ideas, you know, chemistry. Um I always talked like Patty LuPone when I was drinking. Um, and, um, uh, from Boston. Um, I, uh, but I wanted a show to do, you know, and I was, I was not happy with the scripts I was reading. And I, uh, I, I had this idea to just show Patty LuPone videos at a, a cabaret and just talk about them. Kind of like Seth Rudetsky does, deconstructing uh-huh. only, you know, just Patty and just sort of love, you know? Because mm-hmm. everyone comes to my apartment and we watch Patty LuPone videos and we talk about them. So I was like, why don't I do it for a larger audience and get paid? And I asked Patty for permission to use her videos. This is in 2009. Um, and having gone through the labor experience, Patty said, let me see a draft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was really just going to wing it, you know? I mean, I don't need a draft Did to Did she have you. notes? Well, I, I didn't. I didn't have anything. I thought I was just going to be oh. like, "Wait, Osiris, what can I say?" Oh, That's right. an E flat, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> you know? But um, so I thought, well, this would be a good experience for me uh, to write it out. You know, so I made a list of the videos I was going to show, and I was writing um, little anecdotes to personalize them each. But I found, as I was writing the anecdotes, that those were actually much more about me and what the videos had meant in my life, and not about Patty at all, or you know, not pri- not primarily. Um, and it felt like a good exercise for me, even though I'd always wanted to be a writer and hadn't sort of been able to make it happen for myself. I had started blogging. And writing these anecdotes to accompany the videos felt very manageable. It felt like a bite-sized piece of writing, like writing a blog. 
So I was, you know, I figured this, I don't know what this is going to be, but I think this is a good ex exercise for me to go through and write these little stories for each video. And then I put it all together and I just had this sense in my gut that if it was going to be an evening, it needed a theatrical final moment and like a button, but more than a button, like a destination point, you know, to sort of give the evening a sense of something having happened. And it felt really clear to me that this experience I'd had where I ran into my father in 2008 after all these years of not seeing him, he was literally sitting right behind me at Gypsy on Broadway, starring Patti LuPone. And that had been a very empowering moment for me. Um, having, I think all my life I was, had, you know, on my childhood of not seeing him and then all these adult years, I would imagine seeing him and, you know, telling him off um, and, you know, like just losing control and being violent or just like weeping uncontrollably, you know, but just feeling out of control. And here when I saw him at Gypsy, I actually felt really adult and separate from him and okay. You know, I was like, nice to see you. You know, is this a coincidence or what? You know, and I felt that that empowerment I experienced had was in no small part due to what I'd gone through with Patty and Les Mouches. I think the fact that my idol, my fairy godmother, had turned on me. At the end of the day, when the chips were down, she wasn't like, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, come to Broadway and be a star with me. She was mm -hmm. like, stop doing Les Mouches, that's my name, you know? And having gone through that and not being like, well, I fucking hate Patty LuPone, that bitch, but instead being like, it is her name, you know? And then producing her album of Les Mouches and being able to be that adult who accepted the reality of the way things were and not a childlike fantasy and, and moved through that and came out feeling good about it. I felt that that was part of the... And knowing that here I was at Gypsy because of that, after the show, I was going upstairs to her dressing room. She right. got me my tickets. Yeah, you're you know, sitting I don't know who got seats. him at these house seats, but, <laughs> um, you know, so I think that informed my experience of my father, and that felt like the final scene in my Patti LuPone story. So I did a couple of readings of this piece I was working on, which was an hour about Patti LuPone and two minutes about me and my father, <laughs> Gypsy. And then I had to go back, and the challenge was to weave the stories together in a way that that made sense. And I had a really wonderful director, Aaron Mark, who you know, uh, encouraged me that, you know, that could, could work. And, um, and it was a, it was a great experience for me to go through that as a writer. And Patty came to see the show. Patty came to the second performance. Was that, what was that like? Uh, it was terrifying. Um, although the truth is, you know, I've, I've been a director my whole career. Um, so this is the first thing I've ever written. It's the first thing I've ever performed, not to mention the fact that it's about my most personal, you know, uh, naked life experience truthfully told so I was actually so nervous anyway you know that it almost didn't matter that Patty was there it's like you know it, it's like if you're running from a bear is it any scarier if like there's four bears yeah you know right. what I mean it's like I, I, I just kind of was like it was just okay how does um, the room react when they see Patty walk in I mean how does that even happen I think they were scared as I was <laughs> that's a small room at the at the duplex yes, that is, is a small yeah. room yeah and it's a gay audience that knows they're Patty LuPone you know I mean I can't, and you're saying that I mean I think you were saying that she was throwing love at you that she was like laughing at all the right places and yeah of course um, she's great um and there's a moment where I, you know, where the conflict with Les Mouches happens, where 
Patty says, you'll be hearing from my lawyer. And the audience was, you know, I mean, you could cut the tension with a knife. And um, I think people were really afraid she was going to flip out, flip out, you know, and Patty went. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, okay, so this has been an amazing conversation. You are like a beacon of theater knowledge. You're writing for Playbill.com now. Yes. My husband is obsessed with your column. Oh, that's and so nice And you're the hear. first theater writer that he's ever read that he agrees with everything. And by the way, he used to be obsessed over microfiche and like read all the theater stuff. Oh, that's how I know what microfiche is. <laughs> <laughs> you might when you see him. He's cute. Um, but Ben Rimmelauer, thank you. This has been phenomenal. Where can people see the show, Patty Issues? Well, they can go to pattyissues.com or benrimmelauer.com and get all the dates. I'm still doing it a lot of places out of town. I have January 25th, 20, January 25th coming up at the Patterson in Baltimore, and then February 15th to 22nd, I'm in the RSVP Cruises, Gay Cruise, on aboard the MS Divina um, <laughs> in the Caribbean. And then I'll be in uh, South Florida later in the spring, in London, Israel, Australia, um, so there's lots of things coming up. Um, you can get all the information on my website. And I'm um, working on a new show, which hopefully at some point I'll come back and tell you guys about that. We absolutely <laughs> would love for that to happen. Thanks, Ben, for being here. This has been so fun. Thank you. Thank you. Theater People is the creation and production of Patrick Hines and Vanya Arslanian. We have so many people to thank without whom the podcast would never have been possible. First and foremost, BroadwaySpotted.com for being our host on the web. Davenport Theatricals, Bradley Bean for helping us to book some truly mind-blowing guests coming your way in the next couple of weeks, and for creating our original music, the staff at Oswald's for allowing us to record there, Ellen Marsh for her support, and also for helping us to book some of her fabulous, famous Broadway friends, my handsome husband Steve Tipton, who's building our website, and most importantly, you for finding us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you'll automatically get our show each time a new one airs. And like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Theater People. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L. Tell your friends about us, fellow theater people, and keep coming back. Let's get the theater community talking.